Amen. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. What a blessing it was to hear the entire 6th chapter of John read by our brethren. Amazing truth contained in that one chapter. John chapter 6. Verse 22, the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein two his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into that into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. So they had recognized some things the night before. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the love the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I I so desire this morning to encourage and comfort your children, yet I know that I'm unable to do that of myself. I can only do that when I exalt Christ that you draw them unto yourself, Father. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in everything that we say and do this day. I pray that, Lord, you'd help me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I pray the Spirit of God would move in my heart and move my words and my thoughts. I pray that, Father, I would not be a hindrance, but, Lord, that I would just be a vessel. As John the Baptist said, a voice in the wilderness, I pray that I decrease, that Christ would increase. Lord, I pray most of all this morning that you would be honored and glorified. I pray that you would reveal something of yourself to us that we know not yet of. I pray that, Lord, you'd reveal your truth to us that we might be comforted and encouraged. And I pray that, Lord, you'd inspire us as we as a small church seek to preach the gospel to every creature. May we look to Christ as our example. May we learn from Him. May we learn of Him. And may we be more like Him. For we ask these things for His sake alone and for His honor and glory alone. Amen and amen. The miracle of the feeding of 5,000 would prove to be a miracle like none other. For God would sovereignly use it to set the stage for Christ to declare the greatest truths 
concerning the salvation of God's elect. God does nothing by chance. There's always a divine purpose in everything that God does. In the feeding of 5,000, God would sovereignly and providentially use, like I said, that Christ might set the stage to proclaim a truth which is so amazing and so overwhelming and so wonderful that it has confounded man throughout every generation. The salvation of God's elect. The sublimity and great significance of this divine truth, beloved, is revealed in sinful man's utter hatred and rejection of it in our text. The multitude above 5,000, when you count women and children, would not believe it. Consider these things. The multitude would not believe it. Over 5,000 people. The religious hypocrites, the Jews, would be enraged because of it. Who is this Jesus that said he's the bread from heaven? And the apostasy of professing disciples would be exposed by it. Beginning of chapter 6, we have a great multitude following Christ. But by the end of chapter 6, we have merely 12. And one of them is a devil. Beloved, this proves the importance and significance of what Christ says in this sixth chapter. When you consider the multitude that was able to hear the same truths, the Jews that heard the same truths, and even the disciples who turned out to be apostates. By the end of chapter 6, Christ stands alone with merely twelve. Truly the Word of God is quick and powerful. Hebrews 4.12 And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. I love that word. Piercing. Even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Beloved, none can hide from this quick and powerful two-edged sword. Not a single thought or intent of the heart it exposes everything about man. And even more so on our text, for we have the living Word of God declaring the truth of God. Oh, in Christ so wonderfully, so amazingly, so boldly proclaims and declares this truth of God's divine election. Let us begin this morning where Christ begins. And that's with the multitude. For the conversation greatly intensifies as he turns to the Jews then the apostates and closes with the comforting of the twelve. It's an amazing chapter. I'm going to get ahead of myself. But when he's talking to the multitude, he refers to his father giving people unto him. Those whom my father giveth me, 
when he begins talking to the Jews, he changes that expression. And he says, my father must draw them. And he ends with the apostates and the religious hypocrites by saying, you've got to eat my flesh to partake of me. This conversation intensifies. It intensifies. It's like Christ takes it to the very limit and says, you don't understand. I'm telling you, my Father must give people unto me. My Father must draw men unto me. And you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood or you have no part of me. It intensifies. So Christ begins with the multitude. And upon this, he would build the stage of proclaiming this glorious truth of God's divine election. Look at verse 25 and 26. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? You remember they said the boats were gone and they noticed Christ didn't go with his disciples, that they went alone and they were curious. You didn't go with the disciples. How did you get here? Yet watch this in verse 26. Christ is not interested in satisfying their curiosity. He gets directly to the point. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me. Not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. He doesn't even answer their question. He's not interested in satisfying their curiosity, but he would he would immediately address the true problem. You seek me yet for the wrong reason. You went through so much effort and labor. He even uses the word in verse 27, admitting that they labored, labor not for the meat. He said, you've committed so much effort and diligence in finding me, but you're looking for me for the wrong reasons. Not because you saw the miracles. You say, wait a minute, they, they, they were part of the miracles. Surely they saw it. No, they didn't see it. Because the miracle proved and testified of Him being the Son of God. He performed a miracle. He gave over 5,000 people bread and fish and filled them. They were not amazed by that. They did not see the miracle. The only thing they saw and was interested is the fact that they were filled. They ate and they were satisfied. But because you did eat of the loaves and were filled, your temporary need was satisfied. It was not merely that they were given loaves to eat, but Christ emphasizes why they diligently sought Him. Normally when people eat and they get full, that's the end of it. But they were filled in such a way that they wanted to find Christ to find to get more of the bread. Not merely that they were given loaves to eat, but they were filled. Now you need to think about that for a minute, because I believe this was a very unusual and yet very pleasant experience. However the Lord blessed that bread, they ate it and it filled them, and I believe it was a very pleasant experience. It's not like us when we eat and we say, i got enough, and I push away from the table. No, the feeling that they got from that bread did something to them. It was very pleasant. 
Now, surely some of these people had not ate in a while. Maybe some of them were poor and never was able to eat to the full or to the fill. But something with that bread filled them to such a desire that they said, we want more of that physical bread. He said, you're not, look, you're not seeking me because you saw the miracle. You're seeking me because I satisfied your temporary need and you wish to have that continually satisfied. You're seeking me for the wrong reason. Beloved, today the multitude has not changed at all. This verse actually came to my heart and mind this last week when I was dealing with someone at work and praying and trying to exhort them and show them their need of Christ when all they wanted was temporary relief of their problem. And today the multitude has not changed. Countless people profess to be seeking Christ, yet not for himself, not for Christ, or who He is, or salvation from sin, but solely to satisfy and fulfill their lust and their desires. That's why Christ later says, this me perisheth. When I, when I bless you temporarily, it's a meat that perishes. But you need the meat that endureth, that lasts, it's sustaining unto eternal life or everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give. This is the meat you must labor for. This is the meat you must desire. But, beloved, we live in a day and age, and you can look at countless, and I say this carefully and cautiously, countless churches who all they do is they look for some reason to fulfill their earthly temporal lust and joys and desires. They're not looking for Christ Himself. Remove the music. Remove the, the, the emotions. Remove everything that stirs the flesh. And you'll have people not desiring Christ. We have a multitude of people who are in the same situation as these people are today. They desire the blessings Christ promises, but not Christ. They're content to have their temporal needs met, yet they see no need for salvation or for Christ. Meet my temporal needs. And how often do we see that in this day and age where people... You see it constantly on the Internet, but you hear it constantly also on the job when people are in dire need, whether it's health or problem or financial problems or marriage problems or family problems. People are saying, oh, I need to satisfy. Well, you need to pray and ask God. We'll pray and ask God. God didn't come down here to satisfy our temporal needs. He didn't come down here. Christ didn't die for us to save our marriage. He didn't die for us to, save our, to, to keep us healthy. He didn't die for us to provide temporal needs. He died for our sins. And yet people today all over the world are like these, this multitude here. I simply require Christ to help me out of my temporal problem. He didn't come here to save you from your temporal problem. That's a meat that perishes. He came to give us meat that endure unto everlasting life. He's the bread of life, he says.
The charismatic movement is part of this multitude who live and grow and seek and desire and long merely for an emotional high. They're like drug addicts that need a fix. I go to church and I pump myself up and I sing all the songs and I and I be and, I, and the music begins my emotions to go and I and I and I shout and I scream and I holler and I praise God and but it perisheth. After the music is stopped, after after they've stopped singing, after everything settles down and quiets down and the reality of life settles in, it perishes. The joy they had was temporal, it perishes. They drag into work on Monday morning looking as though they've come from a funeral instead of a church service on Sunday. And there's so many people, beloved, so many people today that seek Christ merely for that. Verse 27, labor not for the meat that perishes. Such temporal blessings are meat that perishes. But for that meets which endureth unto everlasting life. Beloved, there's something we need to really, there's a few things we really need to pay attention to our text. Uh, these people were not slothful. Do you, you know the diligence it took to find Christ? The day following. Evidently, according to verse 22, they noticed what happened at nighttime because the ship left without Christ and Christ didn't go with them. So they observed all this happening. It wasn't until the day following when they were hungry again that they said, oh, I'm beginning to feel a tinge in my stomach. I'm beginning to feel something in my belly. I, I need to have more of that food. I need, But Christ didn't go with them. And the diligence they gave. There's no boat there at the time. But look, verse 23. Providence of God, how be it, there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also, I love, in, I love the King James, they took shipping. One of the translations will give you that one. They took shipping and came to Capernaum. God providentially brings boats by, okay? So what do they do? Everybody crowd. We're talking about not a 50 or a 100 he fed 5,000. How many boats came by? Oh, they were not slothful. They were diligent. And people that look and desire the meat that perishes are diligent because they constantly have to regain their hunger, their, feel their hunger. They constantly have to renew their joy. It perishes because it's temporal. It lasts only a short amount of time. So I've got to keep it up. I've got to keep it going. I've got to keep it going. I claim the Spirit. I claim the Spirit. I claim the Spirit. Oh, let's move. It's constantly there. Why? Because it perishes. It doesn't last long. Just like these people. The day following. Why didn't they do it the night before? Why didn't they say, hey, they're leaving? No, the day following. Why the day following? Well, their bellies began to get a little bit. Oh. Yeah, well, it's a new day. and The disciples left and Christ didn't go with them. And what do we do? It's almost like Jonah when he tried to escape from the Lord. Providentially, there was a ship waiting for him. God's providence. God says, okay, verse 23. God said, okay, I'll send some ships by. You can go. Why? Because I'm going to set the stage for Christ to proclaim the divine truth of God's election and drawing 
his own unto himself. A most hated doctrine among sinful men who would share in God's salvation. They were not slothful, but they labored in seeking Christ. Yet for a meat which perishes. They were they were laboring to seek Christ for a meat that perished. That describes so many professing believers today who profess to be seeking Christ, yet all the blessings they receive from Christ perish. They're limited. They're temporal. There's no substance to it. For though they were temporarily filled by the loaves, it was not satisfying. It did not endure. Notice how the Lord said, the meat that endureth, it did not endure. Look in verse 34 and 36. Let me show you this. Of the same chapter. Then, say, then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. You see, they're still, they're still wanting that bread. Christ just said in the verses previous, I'm the bread of life, and I came down from the Father. He said, they said in verse 34, Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. I'm telling you again, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. Evermore give us this bread. Christ says, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. You see, they're saying, evermore give us this bread. He said, you're not listening. I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. You're not going to hunger anymore spiritually. They were temporarily filled, yet the hunger lingered on. They, they didn't comprehend. They didn't understand. That's why the Lord, and that's an amazing text. He said, uh, verse 36, but I said unto you that you've also seen me and believe not. That, that's amazing. I mean, that's an amazing text. You've seen me. They actually seen Christ in the flesh, the Son of God. They actually seen the Son of God. Listen to me. This is the depravity of man. And people that don't believe in total depravity do not know their Scripture nor themselves. They actually seen the living Son of God perform one of the greatest miracles man has ever seen, which is a few loaves of bread and a few fishes, and yet they still did not believe in Christ. You've seen me, and you believe not in me. It's an amazing statement. They were so consumed with wanting this temporal meat, they wasn't paying any attention to what Christ was saying. And so it is with countless people today who profess to be seeking Christ, though they might temporarily work up their emotions... They're never truly, genuinely satisfied. But I want you to look at verse 27, and there's amazing truth here that I hope and pray helps us as well as a church in our labors to preach the gospel. I want you to, I want you to see something that really upsets man and has upset man for generations. Because man would want to know the mind of God. He, Listen to this exhortation. Listen to the exhortation of Christ to these people whom he knew did not believe in him. Listen to his exhortation. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, 
but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. This is the most amazing exhortation, for Christ exhorts them to labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for that meat with the dearth unto yet all their labors are of themselves vain. He says that. You're not going to believe in me. But still, he exhorts them to labor for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life. That's a paradox. Why would Christ do that? He says later on, he, him being God, he knew they didn't believe in him. Why exhort somebody to do something that he knows they're incapable of doing? Because the meat that endureth unto everlasting life can only be given by the Son of Man. Listen to me. But he exhorts these people to labor for it. Isn't that amazing? Christ knew that they did not believe in him. He said that in verse 36. In that he exhorts them to labor. Why would Christ exhort them to labor for something he knew they could of themselves never obtain? I believe this divine truth and many like it throughout Scripture have baffled and confounded many down to the ages who vainly seek to understand and explain the mind of the Lord. Paul said in Romans 11, remember, for who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? Here's the Son of God, knowing that the multitude does not believe in him and he still exhorts them to labor for the meat that perishes not. Beloved, that's the gospel. It's the gospel. Even though it is Christ, not their labors, which alone can give them that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, and even only though only those that the Father giveth to Christ shall come to him, Christ says that, Christ knows that, he's Christ. Christ would still hold the multitude accountable to labor for such meat which endureth unto eternal life. Figure that one out. He knows only the Son of Man can give them that meat. He knows that only those who the Father giveth them will come unto him. But he's still in curtain. He knows they're not going to believe in, but he still exhorts them. You're accountable to labor for the meat that perish not. Look at look at that. And man would try to figure that out. And oh, we gotta we gotta figure this out because this somehow defies God's sovereign grace. This somehow defies God's sovereignty. This somehow doesn't represent God right. God wouldn't do that. Why would God? And man tries to figure that out. And I tell you, there's some things in the Word of God you you're never gonna figure out. Who had known the mind of the Lord? His ways are past understanding. The Lord, speaking about John the Baptist, in his testimony, he said that uh, that you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. You were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But later on, they hated him and despised him. But for a season, they rejoiced in it. Remember Herod? The Bible says Herod enjoyed listening to John the Baptist preach. 
Remember the sower and the seeds? You sow the seed. It's not up to us where the seed lands. We just sow it. You throw it out there. And wherever it falls, on good ground, on thorny ground, on stony ground, remember sowing the seed? Some of them spring up with rejoicing, but then they get cut off. But it cares of the world, and others because of tribulation, and others because Satan still... You follow what I mean? Christ is doing that here. He's he's just throwing the seed out. He he knows that they're not going to be able through their labors to get this meat, because only he can give it to them, and only the Father can draw men unto him. And he even says, you're not going to believe me, but he still exhorts them to labor for the meat that perish. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. When you down, you preach the gospel, you preach the gospel to every creature. You preach it to every creature. You exhort them like Christ and labor for the meat that perishes not. Well, you can't exhort people to do that because if they're not the elect, you see what I mean? And here's Christ who makes such a bold exhortation. And he's the Son of God and he knows he knows they're not his. He knows it. Are you following me? Beloved, this is this is how we preach the gospel. You, you know Mark, but read it with me. Mark chapter 16. I, I want you to read this again. Mark chapter 16. Listen to this because there, this is this is a very controversial subject for many people who who adhere to the doctrines of grace because they want to know they want to logically and reasonably figure out every move of God. You can't do that. Some things are just beyond our understanding. And requires the simple faith in what God has said, not logically, reasonably trying to figure it out so that it matches up with our understanding. God will never match up to our understanding because we can't match up to His. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, He said unto them, the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to God's elect. No. Every creature. You ever wonder why the Lord says every creature and not all the nations? I mean, he references that in Matthew, but you ever wonder why here he says every creature? Because God is the great creator. And he says, he that believeth, verse 16, we finish, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. But you, whether to be damned or whether to be damned or saved, he said, preach the gospel to every creature. He's the creator. You preach none, none, none are to be denied the gospel. None, none are to be denied the gospel. Christ said, preach it to them all. Whether it be the Savior of death unto death for some, or the Savior of life unto life to others, you preach the gospel. None should be denied the gospel. You preach to every creature. So Christ, knowing that He's the one that has to give them this meat that endureth unto everlasting life, knowing that the Father is the only one that can draw people unto Him, and knowing they're not going to believe Him, Christ still holds them accountable and says, labor for the meat that perishes not. That's a paradox. And yet that, beloved, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. None should be denied the gospel. We too, like Christ, 
Paul said it best. He said, we beseech thee as ambassadors of Christ, be ye reconciled to God. Oh, and I, I can hear the hypergracers coming down and saying, wait a minute, the context is Paul's talking to the believers. He's not talking to the law. No. no. Paul says, I'm all things to all men that I might save some. Understanding and knowing and embracing and loving and adoring the doctrine of election, dearly beloved, does not, does not permit us to not preach the gospel to every creature. It inspires us to preach the gospel to every creature. Denying none the gospel. And Christ is our example in our text. Labor not for the meat that perisheth, but labor for the meat that endureth unto Christ, you're talking to a multitude that don't believe in you. I know. But I still hold them accountable to labor for the meat. You see, God still holds the world accountable to his judgments and his laws. Do you know that? Do you know that? And even gospel. Remember Peter, that obey not the gospel? It's a command. God commandeth men everywhere now to repent. And he winked at this before. This ignorance, now God commands. Now, that's why it says every creature. I'm the great creator. And I hold all man responsible. He said, I thought you believed in election. I do. But God holds every man responsible and accountable. And when man dies without Christ and goes to hell, okay, here we go with the superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism, big theological terms. You can debate into it forever. Man is responsible for his own damnation. But he's not responsible for his salvation. I believe we see this in our text. Does God know everything? Does God know who? Yes, God does that. But you better start, stop trying to get into the mind of God to figure out why he does what he does. Does God know everything? Does he know who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost? Yes, he does. He's sovereign. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. Well, then it don't make any sense, maybe not to us logically, with our finite understanding, but Christ is our example. Why encourage, why exhort these this multitude to labor for the meat that perish not when he knows they're not going to be able to do it? It's, their efforts are going to be vain. He still says labor for it, still says labor for it. Look at John chapter 7. This has raised so much controversy amongst God's people. And I, and, I, and I believe many of God's people have overstepped their bounds in trying to figure out the mind of the Lord. They want to logically and reasonably understand it. But <laughs> Faith rises above logic and reason and believes the Word of God. John chapter 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Christ denies no man the living water. He said, If any man. You know, there's some out there that embrace the doctrines of grace that truly believe there should be nothing of a sort of an invitation or a beseeching or a preaching of the gospel. Well, what is Christ doing here? 
Listen to it. If any man thirst, let him come unto me. Well, I thought he says in John chapter 6 that no man can come unto him lest the Father draw. How do you think the Father draws? How do you think the Father giveth? It's through the gospel. Who knows who's going to be drawn and who's going to be given? Not you and me. <laughs> right? You know why? Because the gospel is going to be either a savior of death unto death or a savior of life unto life. That's why Christ even himself exhorts the multitude to, to labor for meat that perisheth not and here gives an invitation to any man. If any man, because it's going to either save God's elect, call them to him, or it's going to condemn the lost. You don't pick and choose. You just simply preach it. See, beloved, this is what our forefathers, and, and most of us who's read the, you know, church history, this is what our forefathers emphasized about the gospel. It's to be preached to every creature. None is to be denied. And if you look at some of the greatest saints of God in history, from Paul all the way up to George Whitfield or Hal Harris, they preached the gospel into every creature. They denied none the gospel. They pleaded with them. They prayed over them. They labored in prayer over them. They preached the gospel to everyone. And now we've got all these theological eggheads that think they can figure out the mind of God and think such a thing foolishness. In some aging, you give man a little bit of knowledge how much it feeds their pride and ego. <laughs> Let him learn a little bit. Listen to this. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, if any man, let him come unto me and drink. He didn't say, Well, you're not going to come unto me unless the Father draws you. No. He, he stood up in the feast. He went to the feast. This is why I like doing what we did yesterday. You know, we go out to these public things, public events that they have. You know, there's some that we need to avoid because they're probably contradicting to the gospel. But public events, he stood up in the feast. He stood up in the middle. He stood in the middle, middle of the feast, and it says he cried. You know what it says? Stood and cried. You know what cried is? If any man thirst, let him come unto me. Oh, I love the gospel. I got to tell the brethren yesterday. I'm I'm more comfortable preaching publicly than I am passing on a track publicly. There's something about the gospel. Wouldn't it be nice to hear the preaching of the gospel in the streets of Coleman? Man. Oh, we don't we don't do that. We don't make any kind of invitation. We just have our church service and trust that God's sovereignty will bring them in. You know, God will just bring them in. I heard a man say that in Kentucky. We don't have a sign for our church. God knows, knows who, who's, who his people is, and he'll bring them in. We don't need to go out. We don't need to preach the gospel or do nothing like that. He'll just bring them in. Christ stood and cried. We need to stand and cry. If any man thirst, let him come unto Christ and drink.
he that believeth on me, verse 38, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake, this, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Watch this. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Watch this, though. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? That the preaching of God's word could affect so many adverse reactions and emotions is amazing, isn't it? Christ denies no man this living water, but cries, if any man thirsts, even though such a proclamation Christ knew would cause division amongst the people and move some to attempt to take him. Look at the following verses. Others said, this is verse 44, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scriptures said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division amongst the people because of him. And some of them, look at that, some of them would have taken him. But no man laid hand. You know what taken means? Violently. They were going to drag him out. For what? If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And drink. Look back over in John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus exhorts them to labor for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life. And watch what happens. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work. They said, what's the work of God that we can do it? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Well, Christ, later on you're going to say that nobody can come unto you unless of, I know, but he still tells them, This is the work of God. You, you see? See what he's doing? None's denied. Oh, I'm sorry, you're not the elect. You're not going to understand this. You think the Lord knew who the elect were? <laughs> you think? He does. Remember at the end of the chapter? Have I not chosen you twelve? <laughs> you, you think he knew who the elect was and wasn't? But he still says this is the work of God that you believe on. This is the gospel. That you believe on him who has sent. Now look at verse 36. But I said unto you that you also have seen me. See, he said in, in 29, this is the work that you believe on him. Verse 36, he said, but I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. You see that? He defines it. You're not going to believe. Then why put so much effort in telling him this? Why put so much effort in speaking to the multitude if Christ knew all that was going to happen? Then he says that first verse, which deals with God's elect, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Listen to me, no, no question marks. Not a possibility, not a probability. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered yourself the gift of the Father to the Son? 
I, I know we're not worthy. I know that we're constantly reminded and we remind ourselves how unworthy we are. But let me tell you something. Let me let me tell you something. Be care, very careful what I say here. But let me tell you something. In God's divine plan of salvation and election, you and I as God's elect are a gift under the sun with the apple of his eye. You remember the high priest, how he wore the jewels around his neck with each tribe so that all the tribes of Israel be close to the heart of the priest? The scripture describes us as God's elect as the jewels of Christ. We're precious because of Christ, not because of ourselves, because of Christ. Yes, Yes, I agree. We have to ever be humble before Christ and realize it's none of our own doing that we're unworthy of all this. But still, do not diminish. Do not diminish God's choosing us for His own good purpose and will to be a gift unto Christ. I'm a child of the King. God is my Father. Christ is my brother. Too often we don't think enough about that. We're always worried that we're going to think too much of ourselves. No, realize who you are in Christ. I am the Son of the Father, the Almighty God and a brother of Christ. We don't give God enough praise for that. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. And this is the Father's will, verse 39, which has sent me that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. I should lose nothing. I will lose nothing. But should raise it up again at the last day. Today, when you go home and read through this chapter again, notice how many times he says that. I'll raise it up at the last day. I'll raise it up at the last day. I'll raise it up at the last day. Verse 44, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. I love this. Draw him. Most people believe Calvinism is a doctrine that teaches that God drags us to Christ despite our own will, like we're screaming and kicking and hollering, and I don't want to go, but God, no. He draws us with cords of love. He breaks down. He breaks down our will without, without Disrupting it without distorting it, he breaks it down. That's the sovereign love of God. That's the, that's the calling of Christ. That's the drawing of God the Father. He makes us willing to come, longing to come. That's why Christ, like I said, and we'll look at some more of this next week, but that's why Christ intensifies this conversation when the Jews begin to murmur. He says, he changes the verbiage. He changes the wording. He doesn't say giveth now. He said no, unless the Father draw him. He's not coming. And then he even gets more detailed. He said, no, I'm the bread of life. Well, that's good. You're the bread of life. No, not just that. If you... You, you cannot have nothing of that everlasting life unless you partake of me, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. You say, that's morbid carnality. You want us to, you want us to know the words I speak, they're spiritual. The flesh profiteth nothing. 
They said, how should we eat the flesh? Christ says, no, you can't partake of me unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that's spiritual. And many of his disciples who followed him heard that and said, this is a hard saying. And I like his response. Are you offended to this? Let me tell you this. Let me help your offense. Because you're not mine anyway. Let me help your offense. And many of them walked away and walked no more with Christ. Let me close with this thought, beloved, and I want you to carefully consider it or you'll misunderstand it. God's not interested in the wicked. God's not interested in the religious hypocrites. He's not interested in the apostates. He's only interested in those who are his. You say, that's pretty harsh. No, that's what Christ does here. It's a hard saying. Who can take it? You're offended? Look at this. And it's proven when Christ turns around at the end of the chapter and says, okay, all right, well, I wonder where the 5,000 are at. The apostate disciples have already left to walk no more with him. Christ, I, I love the wording of it. I love the wording of it. Um, when Jesus said, uh, <clears throat> from that time, verse 66, and I know it's John 666, it's kind of, we mentioned that yesterday. At that time, many of his disciples went back, walked no more with him. That's apostasy. Then said Jesus in the twelve, will you also go away? You going to leave? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's good, Peter. But then Jesus and Anthony said, have not I chosen you twelve? That's why you believe. I've chosen you. <laughs> That's why you believe. You're mine. I've chosen you. The Father's drawn you. Father's given you me. That's why you believe, because you're mine. You ever hear that? You remember the psalmist saying, "The Lord, God is my portion and my inheritance." You need to look at that and and compare scripture with that. What that really means? God is my portion and my inheritance. I've chosen you twelve. With that said. You know, in the midst of this feeding of the 5,000, right after that event, the Lord sends his disciples out on the sea. He doesn't send the multitude. He just sends the disciples. And like we were discussing yesterday, I kind of gave most of the sermon away yesterday in the street, but um, God doesn't do anything by chance. Why, after the feeding of the 5,000, would Christ send his disciples out on the sea and then show his majesty by walking on the storm? And like I said, if you compare John with Matthew, you'll find out that's the first time the disciples worshipped Christ, and it's the first time they declared him to be the Son of God. Thou art the Son of God. It was an amazing manifestation of Christ to his disciples. Why wouldn't Christ allow all the multitudes and ships to come out and see him walking on the water? It was only the twelve. Why? Because he wanted them to see something of himself that when they do come and he does begin preaching and teaching on this divine doctrine of election, the disciples be assured in their hearts this truly is the Son of God. God is so good to us as his children. He shows us and manifests to us things he does not show the world. 
And we need to consider that this morning, not only the gospel. Let us let us preach the gospel to every creature, denying none the gospel. Amen. But also let us be reminded that we are a gift of the Father to the Son, made precious because of Christ. Not of ourselves, but because of Christ, yet still precious. Why do you think the psalmist says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints? It sounds morbid. No. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. Why? Death is the last enemy. Death brings us into that final glory of the salvation Christ has brought us. Death brings us into the <laughs> to the height, to the epitome of our salvation. It brings us into fellowship with God forever. Amen? May God give us grace. May we preach the gospel to every creature as Christ did, denying none the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, how it enlightens us and reveals things to us. Father, our brother has mentioned the last few weeks, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belongeth unto the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belongeth unto us. Lord, may we be humbled by that, and yet, Father, may we be excited by that, and may we be encouraged by that. Father, I pray that we would take Christ's example, even though he knew that only he could give that meat which perisheth not, but endureth unto everlasting life, even though he knew that the Father must draw them and give them, even though he knew they did not believe in him. Our Lord still exhorted them to labor for the meat that perisheth not. Father, I pray that you give us a compassion for the multitude as Christ had. And Lord, may we, understanding it or not, may we go out and preach the gospel to every creature with a heart full of compassion and urgency. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in our efforts here in Coleman. Bless now our efforts yesterday on the street, the literature that was passed out, the flyers that were mailed. Lord, help us, Father, as we spoke of yesterday. Lord, help us to be more uh, interactive with people, with the gospel. Help us, Lord God, I pray that we would seek opportunities that you give us, Lord, to preach the gospel. Father, we pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.